Hey there, and welcome to episode number 128 of the Church Collective Podcast. In this episode, Chris Bellamy and myself were able to talk to David Balash about his project, Labyrinth. And if you don't know what that is, if you haven't heard it yet, go ahead, stop this podcast, pause it, that's all right, I'll wait for you. Go listen to Labyrinth right now and come back. Hey there, welcome back. We're going to jump right in with the Church Collective Podcast, episode number 128. Yeah, the need that I saw was... um was I think the anxiety and the depression that that plagues this country and and really the world. Um, I mean, um, suicide is something in particular that's that's close to my heart. Um, people that I know very close to me who committed suicide and and my involvement in in organizations trying to, to do the best to help those who have these kinds of feelings and. So when it came to the album, my dad was talking about this idea of focusing on scriptures that would help reduce anxiety, or scriptures that address anxiety. Um, I thought it was really exciting because it's something that maybe we don't talk about enough. Um, I mean, we talk a lot about gun control in this country, but two-thirds of gun deaths are suicides. We talk about war, but the leading cause of death for soldiers is not combat, it's suicide. And suicide claims more lives than war and murder and natural disasters combined. Mm. Um, it's a major deal, and, and we don't like to talk about it, which makes sense because it, it's kind of uncomfortable. Well, we're comfortable talking about politics and injustice around the world, but when people express feelings of suicide and depression, we we deflect. You know, we, we point out things that people should be grateful for. We give them hope that things will get better, but we don't really confront it and. Now, one of the common misconceptions about suicide is that talking to somebody about suicide might give them the idea, but sure. it doesn't work that way. Nobody's like, like, oh, you know, I wasn't considering before, but now that you mention it, in fact, con- confronting it point blank and breaking the stigma can be enough to shake the allure of suicide. When you just ask somebody right up front, are you having thoughts about suicide? And I think it was in that vein, just a subject that was very close to my heart and then also kind of on commission from um, from my dad about these scriptures on anxiety that that we approached Labyrinth. And it's really how the name came about, too. Um, I guess my, my goal for the album, what I was trying to communicate, was was not that, I mean, these songs are supposed to help calm anxiety or at least to address that. To, to broach that subject, but it's not meant to be an opiate. It's not meant to be an escape. Uh, it's it's meant to be a confrontation. Mm. Um, in the same way that that confronting suicide head on is enough to break that stigma. It's it's not forgetting about our problems. It's recognizing the darkness that is ahead of us. The very difficult times that we will have to encounter. But then entering into the labyrinth knowing full well the danger that is ahead, but also knowing that we are not alone. And I I guess my hope for the album is that it reminds people that although we although we will face these difficulties, we'll journey through these labyrinths of our lives that we're not alone. Mm. That's uh, that's kind of where it started started off. I mean even even as Easter approaches, I think there's some pretty interesting uh, etymology into the word Easter. And labyrinths were these things that um, that medieval churches they would place outside the western portals of uh, cathedrals, uh, and parishioners would have to walk the labyrinth starting from the west, and they would circle around it, and they would enter 
into the east. That's where we get Easter. This journey from west to east, traveling into the rising sun, is representative of resurrection, representative of new life. Um, so there, there's so many mythological, theological, historical uh, implications of the labyrinth. So I just love the I love the symbol. I loved its history, um, uh, even psychoanalytic roots. The, the the idea that it can bring comfort and healing to people. Uh, so that's kind of where it started. Kind of where it all started. Sure. So now that it's come out, do you feel like are you, are you getting a lot of feedback from people saying that it's it's doing what you were intending with it, or, or like has God kind of used it in a way that surprised you? Like what, what's that been looking like lately? Yeah, it's been beautiful to see some of the testimonials, people that have written just to say we're going through really difficult times right now. Um, we're in the hospital. We're uh, we're praying for this situation and. And in the midst of all of this, we have Labyrinth on in the background, and it really brings us comfort. It, um, it's been really helpful in getting us through this time. And um, I don't know, it's been, it's been exciting to, I guess, to, to see what it can do for people. Um, I mean, it's, it's something I've had in the can for about a year, so just living with it myself, I mean, it's been cool. And I, I guess I was excited to get it out there, but to see the impact that it's having on people is yeah. pretty exciting. Did you uh, write and produce the whole project yourself, or was it collaboration? There was some collaboration on on a few songs, um, on uh, "Nothing Can Separate" and uh, and "Lead Me to the Rock." My mom um, was a part of those tracks. Uh, on "Lead Me to the Rock," there's also Nathan Finocchio, mm. um, and then a friend of mine here in New York City. His name is Alex Threlkill. Uh, he helped me out with the last track. Um, My help comes from the Lord. Yeah, so it was a collaborative, collaborative project in that sense, but also unique in the songwriting process because well, there really wasn't a lot of songwriting. Uh, it was already written. It's scripture. Sure. Uh, so it was more curating, uh, selecting scriptures that we thought worked well together, uh, that sang well, uh, sifting through various translations to, to figure out what we wanted to say. Uh, yeah. Are you, pl- are you playing all the instruments on, on the album? Yeah, the only instruments I'm not playing on the album are pedal steel, which is Scotty Murray. Uh, it's brilliant. And then uh, James Waldo, he's the cellist. Uh, so those are the two instruments that I don't play. Everything else, the, the trumpet, clarinet, whatever programming, guitar and whatnot, that's just me in the studio. <laughs> Man, what did, what's your like musical background look like? I, I'm sure some people are like, man, I can't barely keep up with the guitar here. You know, like, how, how did you, I guess, maybe advice for people with kids? Like, what, what kind of path could, did you go down? Well, um, it's funny you mentioned guitar. <laughs> I, I consider myself really mediocre at, at most of these instruments. It's like I, you know, I, I'm not Miles Davis, but I can play some trumpet. I'm sure. not Benny Goodman, but, you know, I'll play some clarinet. Um and as far as guitar is concerned, I, I can't play standard tuning. The mm. only tuning I can play in is open tuning. Sure. Anything more than two fingers on the guitar is like carpal tunnel for me. So I just <laughs> don't. Really. My mom taught me open D tuning, and, and that's pretty much all you hear on the album. Mm. Um, so I, I did that. And, and then with the wind instruments, I love wind instruments because there's so much emotion in breath. And it's different. It's, I mean, you can get emotion, so much emotion out of a cello out of a guitar, but there's something about the breath that comes out of a trumpet, out of a clarinet, out of a saxophone, 
um, out of a French horn um, that that I find to be so exciting that the textures, even Louis Armstrong, like when I can, I, I found him to be inspiring in terms of uh, playing instruments because when you listen to him, he's not like Wynton Marsalis, he's not like Miles Davis. Those guys are intimidating. They're really good, and Louis Armstrong's really good. Don't get me wrong, but. A lot of times what he plays is just so simple, but it has so much emotion. The way that he plays it, uh, the textures that he gets out of that trumpet uh, are unlike anything else. And so I think for me, it was less about the uh, how many notes I can play, how, how intricate I can make it, but, but what kind of texture mm. can I get out of this instrument and what kind of uh, emotion can I put into the breath? Yeah, I, I think that's a really neat neat thought like so, so i guess it'd be safe to assume you've kind of dabbled in a lot of instruments and kind of pick them up and you know figure out the mechanics and then kind of play notes and figure figure it out on the way through i think that that's probably hopefully an encouragement to somebody listening it's like maybe you should grab a cello and work through some of the awkward sounds you're going to make but you know play around with it a little bit and maybe you can get it to a place that you'd be a little more comfortable with it totally but i i think it's um when you think of music in, in terms of textures, and also I think one thing I was really inspired by was T-Bone Burnett. He said, uh, every instrument is percussion. And when I, think of, when I think of production in that way, it's, I think, maybe less intimidating. Um, uh, when I think of the guitar as a drum or the French horn like a drum, I mean, you have to play it and notes come out. But when you think of it in the context of the, the interplay between textures and between percussive elements, um, I guess it maybe demystifies it. Sure. I don't know. I'm, I'm speaking kind of as an amateur. I just kind of, there are various instruments I p- picked up at junk shops or uh, were gifted to me um, by my band director back at home, um, and you just like try them out and you see what happens. And, and very often throughout the process, I would want to execute something and I just couldn't do it, uh, and so it led to a different kind of melody. And uh, it's like, oh, I can actually play this one, so hmm. so that worked. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, in terms of people out there who don't really consider them masters of any particular instrument, I think a lot can be said for amateurs if you just think about the, the emotion that you're playing it with hmm. rather than trying to execute. True. Have, you, um, have you attempted to do this live, any of the music? <laughs> well, that's the next conversation that we've been having. Uh, I hadn't really envisioned it being live. Uh, again, being a high school teacher uh, limits me in terms of my ability to, to travel and to play shows. And I, I had never really envisioned myself traveling around and playing shows. But it's been a part of the conversation now. And I'm trying to brainstorm how that might be possible. Um, I mean, you could just play infinite stems and sing along karaoke style. But I'd prefer not to do that. Um, In fact, if anything, uh, if anything, I would like to simplify it for live performance because Mm -hmm. one fear that I have is that worship leaders might listen to it and go, that's really cool, but there's no way we can do that in church. It's just not possible. Um, It's very intricate, very complex, but at the root of it, it's actually very simple. Uh, It's a few chords and a lot of repetition and... I think if I were to do a, a live show, I would try to simplify it, maybe in a way that I might show others that it's it's accessible, it's possible to be played in in church, and and I think there's a lot of variation, um, a lot of liberty that people can take with the songs. Uh, if you strip it down to its its base, uh, then you can 
you can compose your own stuff on top of it. You know, whatever instruments you got in your church, whoever can play whatever. Um, maybe you maybe you cop the melodies that you're hearing in the album, or maybe you make some up on your own. Um, yeah, but if you have the skeleton, then, then it'd be cool to see people, worship leaders around the country, get creative and and try to try to make some stuff of their own. Do you do you lead worship at your home church on the weekends? I don't. I I play occasionally at uh, Trinity Grace Tribeca. Mm. Uh, uh, the Brilliance is there, so David Gunger. Sure. Um, that's where I met the the cellist who plays on Labyrinth, James Waldo. Um, it's incredible. It's super inspiring to to see David. He's up there leading, and uh, and and pretty much every Sunday there's David on the uh, on the guitar leading, and I'll be in the back with like a bass guitar and the French horn switching between the two. There's usually a cellist or two, a violinist, um, and then maybe a, a trombonist, um, baritone. Uh, but it's a beautiful kind of ensemble that he puts mm. together every week. And uh, so it's really exciting to play just to back him up on the weekends. And, and very rarely I'll, I'll step in to, to lead, but, um, but it's cool to just back him up. And I love what the brilliance does. Sure. Is that, um, I guess the community of those musicians, is that just enlarge a testament to, to David's gathering around or like, do you have anything to speak to? Like, how do you get so many cool musicians to, to gather together? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think one thing I respect about the brilliance, and I think you can maybe hear a bit of the influence in Labyrinth, is the the orchestral approach. Sure, uh, it's maybe not something that we hear a lot of in the in the Christian music industry. Uh, a lot of beautiful synths and acoustic guitar and some electric guitar atmosphere kind of stuff and drums and uh, and that's all great. But I love how the brilliance brings to worship this uh, this orchestral side of things, um, and I think just. In, in the years that they've spent putting together ensembles, putting together orchestras, they've built up quite an arsenal of, of musicians. And being in New York City, there's, uh, you're not want for amazing musicians. Sure. So, do you, um, do you have any like formal musical training? See, I guess my only formal musical training was just uh, junior high and high school band. Um, sure. I put French horn. Um, and then at home, you know, I'd play with my dad at church. I'd play bass guitar. I would sing. Yeah. Um, and then in between, in between those instruments, I'd just kind of dabble, pick up my little sister's clarinet. Um, I'd, you know, pick up a, a trumpet, uh, try my hand at a saxophone. Sure. Uh, yeah, just kind of pick up anything and see if I can make noise and see what kind of texture I get out of it and yeah. see what happens. So, so my, my question to that then, too, is like, it's just there's a lot of richness to what, what you've created, um, without like, and maybe speak to the, uh, arranging orchestrating process. Like how, how did you go about creating it? I know you touched a little bit on, you know, just kind of dabbling in instruments and getting used to the different sounds that you can bring with them. But like from a musical perspective, how did you, how did you really arrange it in a way that came through? So, I mean, frankly, it, it really sounds like there's at least some kind of major musical education in there for the way that you, kind of painted the pictures with it so i'd love to hear your process for how you you brought all those instruments together and kind of put it put it together yeah for sure um i think one thing that i've observed in music working with unbelievable musicians uh is, is occasionally i'll come across some who are they could run circles around me music theory wise sure. etc um 
and and occasionally I might be music directing something or composing something, and they'll say, "Oh, you can't, you can't play that. Like you know, you can't play that note after this one, or you, you can't put that chord next to this one." Sure. To which I respond, like, "You have ears, right? I mean, listen. Does it sound good? Can, I don't know who told you that you can't do that." Right. Uh, I think so. Oftentimes, my composition is is. Uh, um, I don't know, just trying stuff that sounds good to me, and I don't really know what I'm playing, sure. as much as I know that whatever I'm playing, I, I seem to like it. Yeah. Uh, I run with it. I mean, a lot of these songs started as demos of film scores. So I'll, I'll compose orchestral scores, uh, scores for films and commercials, and a lot of those creations end up on the cutting floor. And when it came time to do the album, throw some demos together and see what happens, I just recycled a lot of those compositions and sang some scripture on top, uh, usually just stealing a melody within the score. Um, like in Come to Me, for example, there's the dun 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 It's just a toy piano part originally in the, in the film score. I thought, well, you just rip that out and make it a vocal melody. Sure. And then outside of that, I, I really get inspired by uh, chance creation, randomness. Mm. So, uh, I mean, it can be daunting to sit down to write a song and feel this pressure to be original, to come up with something awesome and, and unique. Um, like, wh- where do you even begin? And for me, I get really inspired by classical music because it's so, um, it's so surprising in a way that I think a lot of pop music today uh, is not. Very predictable. Uh, I know it's going to happen from the beginning to the end. Maybe slight variations in between. But classical music, you listen to it in these twists and turns that come out of nowhere. It's gorgeous. Um, and so I, I like to start with those. In fact, I might even go online. All these things are public domain. You just rip like a, a MIDI file um, of a classical piano piece. You throw it into Ableton. Um, maybe it was supposed to be piano, but you see what happens if you put a cello patch on there. And maybe you maybe you reverse the MIDI notes, or maybe you invert it. And it's just a click of a button, and maybe that's something interesting. Or maybe it sounds bad, and you flip it back. And uh, maybe you quantize it in a weird way and, and rearrange some things. And you're getting a little bit closer, and maybe you switch it back to piano again. And like, oh, that's interesting. That kind of that kind of works, actually. Maybe you switch it to a pad and see what happens. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe you separate the melody line on top and give that to a violin, but then the the bottom line you you keep that in like a synth patch. So there's a lot of randomness that for me takes the pressure off of trying to divine some amazing melody, uh, but instead to to aspire to and get inspired by classical composers. In fact, the the cellist told me this story I thought was brilliant. He said Beethoven was the original remixer. Handel was the the pop musician of the time. Everybody was super into Handel. And Beethoven said, well, yeah, okay, I'll do Handel, but check this out. I'll remix Handel. And he would would do some of his compositions, but he would remix them. He would take them and um, try something else, invert it, reverse it, uh, reorchestrate it, and create something totally new. Um, So, yeah, I get inspired by by classical music a lot and uh, playing around with randomness. So I'm I'm checking out um, your social media, and there's a picture you posted, I guess a week ago. It looks like you're playing live, and you've got 
a case and then something on top of it. What are you playing there? <laughs> um, so on top of that case is uh, is a synthesizer. Um, I think what synthesizer that is. It's an old one. Um, gosh, I should know this. Um, maybe a Roland. Uh, oh, this is bad. Well, I know I have an OP1 up there, that's for sure. So an OP1 and another synthesizer. Uh, and a Moog Minotaur. Um, and the Minotaur is, gosh, what an unbelievable instrument. Uh, the, the Minotaur, I think, funny enough, the fact that the album's called Labyrinth, uh, and in the myth of the Labyrinth, there is the Minotaur, who is the monster inside of the Labyrinth. So I thought it appropriate that uh, the Minotaur was used on the album. Are Are you doing a show, or what is? Are you? What's going on in that picture? Oh yeah, so in that picture, occasionally in New York City, I'll, I'll play around with some friends. Um, uh, in fact, in in that show. Uh, I was playing with uh, the guy who I wrote the last song with, My Help from Comes from the Lord. That's Alex Threlkill. Um, so that's a trio between me and Alex. Um, uh, and this other woman named is Gina, great songwriter. Just kind of a trio. We play around the city um, very rarely. Uh, but just some of those opportunities. Again, I, I don't play live much. Teaching keeps me... Uh, it keeps me off the stage, I guess, in a lot of ways. Sure. But whenever, whenever we have a chance and we can get together and practice something, you know, we'll, we'll throw up a gig somewhere. So are you into um, analog synths and stuff? Yeah, really into analog synths. Um, uh, I'm also really into sampling. Um, I think that really creates uniqueness, uh, unique textures, things that you haven't heard before. I, I think that's another thing in pop music. You'll hear a lot of a lot of textures uh, and synthesizers that are on everything. And that's what kind of gives it a similar sound. Um, I think it was Hans Zimmer. Uh, he was talking about how for every score that he makes, he creates a sound palette, uh, usually by just taking a microphone out into the field and doing insane things with instruments uh, and sampling them and then bringing them back to the studio. And it creates a uh, it creates a sound texture and palette for a world that maybe nobody else has has made before. Um, so yeah, analog synths, uh, sampling, and I think those combined with the 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 breath and the texture of wind instruments, um, I think that's what interests me the most in production. So when you were doing Labyrinth, were you did you start off in Ableton or Logic or you know what what, what uh, platform are you using? Yeah, well I. Um, Ableton for me is um, uh, Ableton for me is an idea workstation. Um, I don't record in Ableton, uh, but it's it's where I find the um, I, I can be a lot faster with quanta quantization. That's a tough word. Um, a reversal, inversion, throw on different patches. Uh, so when I'm just trying out random stuff and trying to get inspired, Ableton I think is a great. Uh, workshop a great tool for generating ideas and then ultimately I'll, I'll transfer whatever i have in ableton over into pro tools uh, bring it into the studio put some nice mics on whatever it might be um uh, re-record over the the patches put some real instruments on there and um yeah see what happens from there that's cool i you don't see many people using ableton for what it was intended and you know, in the church world, it's just like a playback machine 
for most people. So it's cool to see somebody actually using it. Right. I, I, yeah, it's it's a it's a fun machine, particularly for sampling too. Again, for for amateur musicians, sampling is a an incredible thing. I mean, if you have a phone that can record a voice memo, uh, it's a great a great condenser mic and compressor on the phone. You take that and throw it into Ableton, and you can do some pretty incredible things. You can create some really unique sounds very easily. And Ableton is a great ideas generator in that sense. Um, and I also heard I heard somebody um, somebody say this once: this idea that when it comes to sampling, it's not just playing; it's it's creating an entirely new instrument. Like sometimes you'll see. DJs or, or people, they'll, they'll sit with one snare sound for days, just crafting it and trying things out, and that doesn't work, and scrap that. And, oh, that's interesting. Let's go that direction. And So before you're even playing the instrument, you're creating the instrument. And I think Ableton is a, is a great workstation for that as well. You throw in a sample, you try some stuff out, um, very random, very fast, move quickly, don't think too much. And then you kind of land on something that's interesting. And then you, after you've created the instrument, then you start playing the instrument and see how it plays. Hmm. Are, are you using a controller with Ableton or are you using just a MIDI keyboard? Uh, well, sometimes I'm, I'm really skeleton crew. Like it's just my, my computer keyboard. I mean, if you can use all the, all the keys on your laptop and those will play the notes. Um, there's no velocity, and so that's a bummer. So then you go back in and you you adjust uh, the velocities, randomize them so it doesn't sound totally robotic. Um, and then you get in there and quantize and move the notes up and down, drag them up and down. Um, but I don't think I'm playing anything so complex as to necessitate having like a big MIDI keyboard necessarily. Hmm. I'd love to kind of just swing back to where we started too, you're talking about how, how this, um, the, the album has been helpful for people with anxiety and suicidal thoughts and things like that. Can you maybe speak to, um, it sure feels like there's a prevalence of not dealing with mental health issues in the church, um, where we can kind of dismiss them as, you know, you just need more faith or you just need to trust God with that. Could you maybe speak a little bit to that? Is that something that's near and dear to your heart? It is. Yeah. Um, it is. I, I don't want to make sweeping generalizations about sure. the church and whether or not they do or don't address. I think That's the church and really society at large fall short in terms of of talking about this thing that plagues our society. Sure. Um, uh, and I, I guess if anything, it would be nice if this album were to to start a conversation uh, of sorts. Um, and if not the album itself, then then I'll be the advocate. Um, I think it's. Uh, I, I think, like you said, it, it can be difficult when you're going through a tough time, and somebody says, "Well, you know, just pray more and uh, look at this scripture and take a walk outside. It's beautiful." And you, you point to all these other things that that don't really get at where they are at. Um, you get advice. People say walk here rather than just walking with them where they're at. Sure. Um, and I think I think that kind of candor on on the discussion about suicide is is really important. Um, yeah. I've just been wondering what what do you teach? Uh, I teach public speaking and debate. Mm. Oh so wow! A lot of public policy. 
a lot of political issues, um, rhetoric. Um, yeah, so I, I guess that's why in the discussions about politics and injustice, uh, very much aware of, of a lot that's going on in the world. Um, but then for me personally, uh, because it's not talked about all that much, we maybe don't know its prevalence in our society. Mm. Um, again, some of the some of the stats that I mentioned to you at the top, it's um, it's a big deal, uh, and yet for as big of a deal as it is, I feel like we don't talk about it enough. Sure. Um, sure. And and hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully we we don't try to point people away. Uh, we don't try to tell people to to step away from their problems, but we. We try to tell them to confront it. Sure. I mean, even in uh, Jesus in the in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before uh, you know, the day he was crucified, um, he turned to God and said, "Is there any other way? Can, can can we do this any other way?" And that wasn't what he was called to do. He he entered the labyrinth and the twists and turns and the torture and crucifixion, and he. He faced the trials and tribulations, and when he got to the center, he, he died and he descended into hell, and he defeated the monster, mm-hmm. and he came back out. And I think it's representative of the journey that we all have to take. <laughs> you know, we're standing at the threshold of, of the labyrinth, um, standing at the threshold of our problems, and we would much rather uh, go somewhere else. You know, Lord, take this cup from me. But we're called to enter in um, and to go through those to go through those things, the twists and the turns and the pain, um, and to die, but then ultimately to rise again. And and hopefully the album is a reminder that in the midst of all of that, we're not alone. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Church Collective Podcast. If you haven't been plugged in, head over to Facebook, look up the Church Collective community. We'd love to chat with you over there. God bless today.